When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 13th episode of Kimi and the Bird. I'm Kami. I'm Taylor. And in today's episode, we are giving a non-spoiler review about the dreamy and fantastical The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. Now, The Night Circus is a fantasy novel told through several point of views. Several. Around 14, if we're getting specific. We think. We think. Not sure. There could be 25. Question mark? Perhaps. Yep. (laughs) All their lives, Celia and Marco have been set up to duel each other with magic illusions and mystery. Their venue is La Cirque de Rêve, the Circus of Dreams, and their mentors insist that they both must win, no matter the cost. But when love intervenes, Celia and Marco find the price of the competition is more than they are willing to pay. With mounting consequences... That jeopardizes the performers and people around them. They must ultimately decide whether or not the show can go on without them. Celia Bowen has a natural affinity for magic, a talent her manipulative father is quick to take advantage of. All her life she has been brutally trained in perfecting physical magic, but her wistful nature often distracts her from her supposed purpose, winning the competition. Her quick thinking and cleverness might ensure victory, but what will protect her heart? I liked Celia as um, one of the protagonists because she was consistent. She was always quick on her feet. Like, that never changed. And you understood why she did what she did. Like, the reasons behind her actions. Even if they weren't completely clear when she first does them, they become clear later. What I liked the most about Celia was how her magic reflected her as well. She's very elegant and she's very powerful, not only in what she can do, but even just in her presence. Even though she kind of has a bit more of a quiet nature to me, she still has that cleverness and that craftiness that makes her really intriguing. Uh, She's kind of like a puzzle. And the way she's grown up and everything, you feel for her. And so you are curious to see how she'll do in this competition and you have the hope that she'll do well. I agree. I would say that she's a bit more quiet in nature. I would say that's probably because she kind of has a tragic past, not gonna lie. And she was rather isolated in childhood. Yeah, with her father, who's not the greatest dad. But I also like just like her quiet defiance that she has. She might not like show it immediately or directly, but she isn't reckless with the way that she's defiant. She thinks her way through. She's quick on her feet. She is thoughtful of her surroundings, of her consequences, and of how she's going to prevail. Another reason why I like Celia is because it seems like she has a lot of different sides to her. She kind of has the softer side and then a very graceful, elegant, polite side. And then she does have that side where it's honest and it's quick and she's not afraid to say things and she'll be bold. And there's that other side that's the performer, where she'll put on a show that will entertain the audiences all the while hiding away everything that she's feeling inside. She's just, she feels very full and not necessarily predictable, 
but you could depend on her, if that makes sense. She was constant. Yeah. I like how, even though she took a lot of crap from her dad growing up, she refused to take crap from anyone else. She was like, nuh-uh, not happening. But in her quiet defiance. Like, excuse me, no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she was British. Right? Because she was born in New York. Well, those are half my jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Marco is. He's definitely British. Oh, then Marco, you've become my next... Oh, Marco. Marco. Marco Alistair. Marco Polo. (laughs) Marco Alistair was plucked from an orphanage, taught and trained for one sole purpose, to outperform his anonymous opponent. Isolated since his adoption, he turned to books and knowledge for a way to express himself and his magic. And as he grows older, he finds charmful manipulation to be a key to success. But will his traditional formulaic spells be enough to rival his competition? What I liked about Marco was how his way of growing up and his training completely contradicted Celia's. Marco was independent. He His mentor kind of let him do things on his own and he turned to books as a way to grow his understanding. It wasn't more so through experience he learned, but rather knowledge. And I liked how he had a practical, logical way at looking at things. And I liked how that translated to his magic. And as Kimmy and I have discussed when we weren't recording, he's also unexpectedly flirtatious. I know, for a kid who's isolated with no one to talk to and having just books as company, the dude knows his way around words. Yeah. Like, he can charm, he can literally charm the pants off of you. One of his favorite spells. <laughs> At some level, he is using charm as, like we said, a manipulation, just kind of to get people to like him, to get what he needs and/or wants. But I feel like that does come from a place just within himself, which completely contradicts the way that he was raised. I mean, his mentor is nothing like that. He's just all serious in his gray suit that he wears all the freaking time. Marco changes it up. And I'm surprised that Marco was as attuned to his emotions as he was. He always knew what he was feeling. Sometimes I don't know if he was exactly in tune to his emotions per se, but he understood his emotions in a very logical way. He didn't dismiss them. He didn't dismiss them. And I think he just thinks through things very thoroughly. You know, why am I feeling this? What do I do? How I'm feeling about this? And so he has that kind of studiousness to him where he really processes things. So it's interesting if sometimes he did have a little bit of an emotional break or if he did kind of uh, erupt a little bit more from his typical persona and he kind of showed a different side. Not in a bad way, but... In a hot way. (laughs) Huh. (laughs) It's one of the best tropes. It's like the kind of serious guy who is a little, who who has his charming moments, who keeps all of his intentions and feelings mostly hidden, but then there's that break. And that break, he just lets it all out and it's... And I think Marco is very mysterious. It seems like he kind of has everything out in the open, but he keeps a lot of secrets and he utilizes those secrets to the best of his abilities as well. 
You never know what he'll do with what you tell him. He's very good at making a situation advantageous for him. And it, with that, I think he's very good at playing the game. He's a player. He he is a player in, in both the romance <laughs> and the competition. Oh! <laughs> Set in the 1800s, the night circus follows Le Cirque de Rêve across the world as it entrances patrons with the unbelievable, the fantastical, and the almost transcendent. I love the setting of this book because the setting is like a character itself. It is such, it's the very core of the entire story, of the entire plot. I, Taylor said this before we started recording, but without the setting, you can't have the story. The The entire story exists wholly because of the setting. I don't think I've ever really read a book before where everything was so contingent on the placement, on just where the, where the world is taking place. And so it was very interesting to read The Night Circus because the characters could not exist. The plot could not work. Everything would fall apart if not for the circus that acts as the core of the story. And it was such a unique setting as well because it has its own aesthetic to it. It has its own magical vibe that is brought to life by the author, which is crazy. Like the black and white tents, the delicious foods like the caramel and the popcorn and the cider and the statues and the sheer amount of tents. I think this world really envelops you. And Kami and I were talking about this earlier off when we weren't recording again, but it's a world that I that we felt like everyone imagined the same way. The, it, it would be hard to imagine this world in different ways, simply because I feel like you have the same experience. Every detail is so defined that it can't be interpreted as anything else but what it is. And all of that comes together because of the author's unique writing style. Because Erin Morgenstern doesn't just write in first person or third person. She goes into second person, where she has these little kind of, I wouldn't say interruptions, but these little- Intervals? Yes. These little intervals where- she uses the word you instead of he, she, or names. Where it's, you. she's using that kind of writing to place you within the story, within that setting. Which was genius of her. I feel like Erin Morgenstern gave life to this story in a way I don't think any other person could. This story felt like a dream of hers. Like, she's the only person in the world that could have had this dream and, most importantly, could have brought this dream to life. And I think that any factor that she ever could have needed to think of, she did. And with her writing, you get to get a taste of the story from all sorts of different sides. Like, you get to experience the circus as someone who is a patron. You get to experience the circus as someone who's the owner, as someone who is a performer, as someone who is, who reports on the circus and where it moves and what it's like. And I think that that type of writing style really created this universe and really separated this world 
enough from our own that you feel separate, but also so much like our own that you feel like it's a part of our history. The best thing about her writing was the fact that everything had a place in the story. Whatever she mentioned had some significance to a character, to the plot, to a background, to something. And it all just kind of wove in together, especially since the book takes place in multiple years within, let's say, a 30-year time frame. And because it is told through multiple perspectives. So all of that just combined together just makes this book and makes the aesthetic of the book come alive. I would want to go to this circus. Oh, absolutely. I can't juggle or anything, but I'd want to perform. I, I, I'm kind of psychic sometimes. Ooh. I could do tarot. You should do tarot. Ooh. Ooh. I'll work the crystal ball. I'll just hold it. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, distract them. I, got, I, I, I gotta, I gotta make up some BS. <laughs> Ooh. You will be single for the rest of your life. <laughs> Here's a list of our favorite things in the book. And if you like these things too, then, well, maybe you should read the book. Makes sense. Rivals to lovers romance. Magic. The greatest showman. The goth aesthetic. Nonlinear timelines. Popcorn. Twins. Contortionism. Studiously flirtatious love interests. Tarot cards. Nocturnal venues. Mystery. Enigmas. Competition. Smoke and mirrors. Acrobats. Clocks. Red scarves. Victorian influence. Vindictive fathers. Bowler hats. Kittens. The prestige. Christopher Nolan. But like the storylines. Like complex storylines. Uh-huh. Like, where am I? But also I know where I am. But also mind blown. Yes. The inception of circuses. Tents. Trains. And just the aesthetic. That's the most important one. I mean, woo-hoo. Actually, the, the aesthetic is so specific. You it really the, is. The red and the black and the white. And you have the smells in the air and the food. <laughs> <laughs> now, Kami, based on our rating scale of one to seven, one meaning literal trash and seven meaning fangirl mania, what would you rate The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern? I think this one's actually going to be one of my highest ratings yet. I'm going to give The Night Circus a 6.8 out of 7. <laughs> right between it was literary and fangirl mania. Simply because, I mean, the the entire book, you couldn't ask for more. The aesthetic is there. The characters are developed. The plot is intricate, but you understand it and but it's also a book that you can reread over and over and over again. The writing style, the the magic that you kind of feel coming from the pages is something that you're not going to experience with any other book. With that being said, though, the reason it doesn't get a full seven is simply because I couldn't read this in one sitting. Like, I like to be able to devour my books. And while I do appreciate the intricacies that are involved in this book, I, I miss the feeling of being able to just read it all in one sitting. I will give The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern a 
6.5, which on our rating scale means it was literary. Because I feel like the main showstopper in this book is the circus. I think the circus literally takes over the show. The circus feels so fundamental to what this story is. And the circus, I think, is what carries the intrigue and the mystery and the awe and the the want to participate. Like, you, as a reader, you want to participate in the story because of the circus. Now, with that, I do love the characters. I love Celia and Marco. I like how their magic also influenced the story. And what I liked most of all was that things weren't needed to be explained to me. The information just came along and it was up to me if I if I understood it or not. If that makes sense. It's kind of a weird way of saying it. But I wasn't being told how the circus was working. I wasn't being told exactly how the magic was performed. The lack of explanations really involved me as a reader, which I really liked. I had to actively think and figure things out and I had to actively put myself into this world, which I think is one of the reasons why it enveloped me so much. The reason why I wouldn't go a full seven is because I don't know if this book is necessarily like a fangirl mania book, if that makes sense. Mm. Like it's not something that, like you said, you devour or it's not something that you'd necessarily jump up and down for because I think it's a much more of a slow read. Like you, you it's a, it's a thinker. You read it and you think and you really have to sit and let it take you. It's not something that you just plow through and go, oh, holy crap. It's something that I think slowly settles in and then you go, holy crap. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a book you have to read every line for it to all make sense. Yeah. Every detail matters. Thank you so much for joining us on Kiwi and the Bird for our book recommendation episode about the Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. We hope that you will join us for our upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed our content, don't be afraid to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. On both Twitter and Instagram, we go by the handle at Kiwi and the Bird. We hope you liked today's recommendation. Join us for our upcoming book discussion episode where we go into spoilers and details about the Night Circus. And remember, like a library, at Kiwi and the Bird, shh happens. If you made it this far, get ready for some bloopers. All their lives, Celia and Marco have been set up to duel each other with magic illusions and mystery. Their venue is Le Cirque de Rêve, the circle of dreams. Circle? What? <laughs> Welcome to the circle. <laughs> get ready to dream. Oh, um, I read The Catcher in the Rye. It was I. <laughs> It's just a classic. It was aight. I was not. It's just survived hundreds and hundreds of years. It's aight. Yeah, Gemma usually with a G though. That's my dog's name. But we call her Chungus. (laughs) The Adventures of Pinocchio. Sometimes I feel like I'm commentating sports. Like, yeah, she's doing well right here, but as she goes, I don't know, sports commentary. (laughs) Like, One Tree Hill, terrible show, but they show 
the the Lucas guy um, who um, what's his face? Chad, Chad Michael, Michael Murray. Murray. <laughs> <laughs> the power. <laughs> we just summon him. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. <clears throat> that one was awesome. I respect. <laughs> If I laugh too hard, I'm going to get a headache. And those do hurt, actually. Yeah. I'm like, why did my own humor cause this? <laughs> I'd be like, kill me! Sometimes I want to laugh, not even because of anything. But my body's just like, do it. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that one time my stomach was like, you mean it? No. <laughs> both went silent and my stomach was like oh yeah <laughs> did the different sound yeah. <laughs> yes it did it doesn't start with a j it does oh <gasps> i'm magical <laughs> and it's also the name of a month her name is july <laughs> no it's june <laughs> burn for you i hey, burn for Daphne. you i burn for you <laughs> I burn for you. <laughs> I mean, the Duke is hot, but honey. No, I, I, I literally bleeped. I was like, Whoa. I burn for you. I burn for you. <laughs> burn. 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 You're going to fall asleep tonight, and also you're just going to hear, Burn. Burn. <laughs>